His name is Heston Blumenthal. He's cooked more Michelin-starred hot dinners than you've had hot dinners. And for over 25 years, he's explored the outer reaches of culinary creation. And now we get to take a journey with him. My name's Jay Taylor. I've been Heston's TV director for many years. And more importantly, now you're host for a trip deep inside his mind. And on today's show, we explore the remarkable world of flavour pairing with ideas that would make even Willy Wonka blush. So let's head off on an adventure into flavour with the man himself, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. It is nice to see your smiling face today. Likewise, Jay. And you, James. Hi, chaps. How, are, how is everybody? Hello, James. Here to keep us on the right side of fact, as always. I love the fact that you said... Um, <laughs> I don't love the fact, but I'm just picking up on the fact that you said he's cooked more hot dinners mm. than you've had hot dinners. In fact, when I first opened the duck, just to show how things have changed so much, you know, this old-fashioned thing of food should be piping hot. When it's piping hot, you can see all the vapour. Yeah. So this is connected to what we're going to be talking about, flavour pairing and aroma molecules. When vapour comes out of something, it carries the volatile little molecules that carry the aroma. So the more piping hot your food is, the less pleasurable it is, unless you just need to eat the hottest food possible, in which case you might as well just drink a boiling hot cup of water. So hot dinners are something that I don't really go for too much, unless the intention is to play on something that's, that's hot. I don't mean you're going to serve everything cold, but certainly when I opened the duck, 1995, there were sort of three main complaints not many more than that. Here comes this funny <laughs> English guy with a long, odd continental erotic, um, erotic, fucking hell. Uh, er, continental, oh, wow. like, yeah. What restaurant <laughs> was this again from? <laughs> Shit, exotic, exotic sounding name. Who is serving food not hot, he's serving fish undercooked, and he's not serving a bowl of boiled veg. Where's my veg? Well, they, it, it's a garnish to, your, to the rest of the dish. But that was in 95. So it, it's amazing to see how far we've come now. It's a good point, isn't it? Because it used to be a thing on menus, didn't it? Piping hot used to be a selling factor Piping, on, a, abs- on certain menus. Absolutely. And on TV, James, you could deal, um, hopefully confirm this or confirm that I've completely got it totally wrong. But there were, it used to be that, that, that when you shot um, dishes in a, in a cooking show, the final dish, the final shot, they call it the pack shot, you needed steam to come off the plate. And one of the techniques they used for that was to take a tampon and put it in boiling water because they're so they're so um, they tuck up so much moisture. So if you put it a tampon in boiling water and you put it under the rim of the plate, when you're shooting the plate from the side, you have steam coming everywhere. But if you have steam coming out of your food, it means your food is drying out, and all of those wonderful flavours are disappearing into the ether. Absolutely. They're going away from us. I do remember on our shoots, when we used to do those food shots at the end, we, do, we yeah. at one point, suddenly I noticed in one of the budgets, which are always tight in TV, yeah. this, this line appeared which said, food stylist. And I was like, what is this? It was one of the first <clears throat> food shows yeah. I've made. And said, oh, no, they, they come along and make the food look good. I was like, really? Okay, we'll see about that. We're not paying them all that money. And then they came along, and I remember I went, I'll do this. And I just it was just a bowl of apples just yeah. apples and i thought yeah, i'll do and then the long they came i don't know what they did mine just looked like a bowl of apples they came along and had a little 
box with them with all sorts of strange sprays and it's a makeup and, artist it's a makeup things. artist they because mm. under they the lights with that bowl of apples it looked amazing it looked like something a wicked witch would be proud yeah of. they might at supermarkets have done this in the past i probably started doing this 20 25 years ago where they would have little misters over the fruit section and every now and then they'd do and you'd have a wonderful mist of water that would just delicately coat the apples and the oranges and the lemons uh, and, 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 and the soft fruit, and you had these little pearls of, with the lighting of, of, of reflective moisture, like little diamonds on the edge of the fruit, and it would make it much more enticing. So the food stylists as well, they'd come along with a, I mean, they, they would, they'd glaze, little brush, paint in the right spot, because imagine you've got a camera and you've got lighting and you need to pick up a certain part of the, of the food and then you look in the camera to see what it looks like. These are the dark arts of, of, of bringing things to life in people's homes that they can't touch or interact with. I mean, in, in a similar parallel, if you were working on a, on a music show where music was the star of your show, not food, and you'd hired Shirley Bassey to sing Goldfinger, she would come with an entourage of 30 or 40 people to make her look absolutely impeccable when she, you know, launches. Never before has Shirley Bassey been compared to a, uh, a plate of t- piping hot food. <laughs> it's the same idea, isn't it? They do the same in music. You have a sound engineer afterwards that just sort of just tweaks and massages the notes and the voice. We never used a makeup artist on you, though, when we were filming, did we? We never had one of them in tow with us. No. Maybe on your fancy adverts. But I, I, no, I demanded it. I demanded I demanded no <laughs> yellow MLMs. I demanded a, a catamaran. Well, a catamaran. We're on land. Full of, art, of, 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 of wardrobe designers and artists and uh, makeup artists. I ended up with bringing me own razor, which normally ran out of power halfway through shaving, which made me look like a bizarre monk gone wrong. Um, and then clothes that hadn't been ironed. <laughs> that bloody catamaran. We took that everywhere with <laughs> Never used it. <laughs> <laughs> the, gl- the glamour of film Never used TV. it. That's where all the budget went. <laughs> oh, my God. But it, it's absolutely right. You know, when you... This is the problem when you... Like now, you know, we're, we're using sound on a podcast. And through TV, you have sound and you have a visual element. Food is so complex because you have the sound and you have the sight. But then you have the smell and the taste and the touch and everything else like that. And I know we've been talked about this over the years on TV. I could never understand. I wanted to do the multi-sensory stuff. And people would say to me, well, you can't do smell on TV. They'd normally use that accent, by the way. Yeah, that's always Can't do smell on TV. But the people that you see eating the food can do smell. And then the person watching the TV can imagine smell. And if they see somebody's face, this is how movies work. You know, somebody has a face of horror on them or somebody has a face of excitement or whatever it might be. We connect. We're, we're, we're empath- em- empathetic. We have connect. We connect with other people's facial movements to demonstrate their emotions. So put smell on set. If you can get people to react, it might be like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Or complete, you know, be brought to tears. The amount of times you and I have tried to get Scratch and Sniff into one of our shows, we tried over and over again, didn't we, to get the Radio Times to put Scratch and Sniff out? Because I remember as a kid, vividly getting one of them in the Radio Times, and as a kid I didn't do it properly, I just scratched them all off in one go and sniffed it without the TV show. But I still think if we could do, maybe we could do that with our podcast, maybe we could get Scratch and Sniff cards made. I'd love, but the the only thing with Scratch and Sniff is that when we smell, we smell through our mouths and our nostrils. So when you breathe in, you breathe in smell. But you breathe in through your mouth as well as your nose, don't you? Yep. 
And then, so it goes in and out your nose, in and out your mouth. And now the, 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 the poncy technical, um, academically technical term for that is ortho and retronasal. Now, so if you just have one element, which is scratch and sniff, you can't breathe in a scratch and sniff card with your mouth. You have to go, you have to sniff, physically sniff. So, but that's only one part of the picture. If you spray something in the air, then it goes up your, uh, through your nostrils and out and out your mouth and in your mouth and out your nostrils. So it's like two directional at the same time. And to make things even more complicated, which I'll come on to maybe in a future podcast, I believe that smell is actually sound. So when we smell, th- this, is, this is relevant to our food pairing stuff that we're talking about. If you think about a piece of food, whether it's a potato, a bro- some broccoli, a piece of beef, a fish, a mushroom, a herb, it doesn't matter. When you start to zoom in, it's actually made up of hundreds or thousands of little ingredients that we can't see. Some of those contribute to taste, so like bitter and acid, sour, for example, and some of them contribute to aroma. Then when us human beings apply physical action to that, uh, that food, so we chop it, we blitz it, we heat it, and then how long we heat it for, at what temperature, then we create the, all this energy onto the ingredient and all those little tiny molecules start to fight and bounce against each other. And some of them, some of them marry each other. Some of them get divorced. Some of them have a fight. Some of them have a party. They just move all over the show. But they reproduce new textures and new flavors. So everything is vibrating. When we apply heat, we just make the, those vibrations more. So there was a theory... Uh, well, more than a theory, it was it was considered that 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 uh, up till about fairly recently, we smell by a little thing between our eyes and behind the bridge of the nose, which is called the olfactory epithelium, and it's the only part of the brain that's exposed. So, if you stuck a, you wouldn't want to do this, by the way. But if you and I have never done this, and would never think of doing it. If you stuck a needle or a cotton bud up your nostril, eventually you'd end up touching your brain. It's exposed. So those molecules, all the aroma molecules. So the aroma of a banana is not just a banana. It's 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 a recipe of hundreds or thousands. Of little things together. Imagine like a stock pot. We both make a beef stock and I put celery in and you don't. Then my beef stock will smell differently. Also, in addition to that, your receptors in your olfactory epithelium, we roughly have four to six hundred receptors. So they're little sensors that pick up these molecules. But we don't use them all at the same time in the same way. So not only will my stock smell different to your stock, if I put celery in and you don't, I, you might cook it for longer than me, I might fall asleep and the, the temperature might go up a bit high or you might put the lid on for a bit or whatever. But you won't perceive it the same as I do. So we all live in our own sensory worlds. But those molecules now, I believe... They, the, 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 the theory is they slot into, in, in the olfactory bulb, the epithelium, imagine a molecule, imagine doing a jigsaw puzzle. And each piece of the jigsaw puzzle is slightly different. So that's the molecule. So, so you, you can bed down into sort of chemical names and complicated names, but there'll be a shape to it. Everything has some sort of shape and a movement to it. So it slots into its receptor 
it's a bit like a light switch. When you make the switch and the light, you've got to put, at some point, you've got to join the cables together and you've got to put the switch into the wall. You need, you need, you need the, the thing to fit into something else and then you need to turn it on. So the thing fits into something else. So the molecule will fit into a, a receptor. However, it needs to vibrate in order to be activated. And that vibrationary energy, you could argue, is sound. Now, this is something that for, for, I've gone into something fairly deep here, but I'm just sowing the seed. Quantum harmonics. So smell is sound. And in fact, smell, closely followed by sound, are the two biggest triggers of memory of all of the senses. Oh, I didn't expect to be saying that on the, this podcast, but that's uh, wow. Did that did that make sense? Because it's a massive subject. That made that made loads of sense. That sounds incredible. That sounds like something. Certainly, we should be getting you know sound engineers involved and trying to explore. And, and that'd be a, a wonderful thing to explore. Quantum harmonics. Quantum harmonics. And and you've sort of almost done my dodgy segue for me because we're gonna, today we're talking about flavor pairing and i've got yeah. well we've all been set our homework by you normally it's me texting you things last minute saying quick grab that's this but no this came the other way around this time you text me and said get yourself a variety of different things and on my plate in front of me there's all manner of different well you wouldn't certainly wouldn't put together a plate of bananas blue cheese tuna chocolate digestives parsley uh it sounds like a very unusual meal we're going to be having today heston so talk to us all about the wonderful world of flavor pairing what does it mean it, this was something that, that I came up with maybe oh, probably 20 years ago. And it stemmed from my maybe obsession, stroke awareness, of my relationship with the foods that I was eating and the fact that I would ask questions. So, for example, I remember I was on holiday in France with my kids. This is, this is certainly 20 years ago. And we were sending my parents flat, had a balcony, and they had a little barbecue on the balcony. And I put a, a black iron stock pot on there, made a stew with rabbit and potatoes and fennel and mustard and stuff in it. And it was cooked over these um, vine, vine leaves or vine roots. And then just before I served it, I chopped some parsley, parsley, rabbit, it's classic, mustard, it's all sort of classical French combination i threw the parsley leaves in and put the lid on and then put it on the table then lifted the lid to serve it so probably a minute it had the lid on and i got hit with this incredible smell of banana there was no banana in there the what yeah it smells like banana but i think i was just more open-minded to thinking you know the time there's so many moments in our lives when you think Oh, I can smell something. What does that remind me of? And then someone might tell you wet brass straps. Always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Invariably, yes. Um, <laughs> so, but, but, but with that awareness, our whole universe of smells open up. So then I started to, had to try some banana and some parsley, which we have here together. And it works. It works. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it, it works. And in fact, um, but it's different if the banana is very ripe or not so when i started getting into looking more into this world of aroma molecules which is which is a universe so complex in itself so i then thought uh, i got a banana a slightly unripe banana and i tasted it and i think we've got 
some banana and parsley with us now. Let's do it. Let's try it. This is about ripe, I'd say, actually. It's, a a bit, it's always a bit hit and miss getting bananas this time of year, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's better. That it, for me, it works better when it's slightly more green. Right. So just break a bit of, of, of banana and I've, I've got the, uh, the obligatory flat leaf parsley. I don't know if anyone can find curly yeah, parsley anymore. Yeah, I've got anymore. flat leaf. And then just, ha- just have a bite of banana. Now parsley immediately. That's so weird. Let me do it again. Let me do that again. I think I think that it's delicious. It's just delicious. One moves the other on somewhere else. The green, maybe it's a green yep. connection. I don't know. I had to try the parsley first, second time round because when I had the banana followed by the parsley, yep. they went so closely together. I couldn't taste it's a crossover. the parsley. It's incredible. And then when you have it the other way round, you get all the pepperiness of the parsley. And as soon as you put the banana in, that disappears. And as James <clears> says, it sort of enhances it to become the same flavour of both of them. But that feels literally like they're just leaking. It's amazing. And, and, and then now in, on the finish, now it's maybe 30 seconds since I've actually swallowed the, the eaten and swallowed the banana and parsley, but they just sit. It's just, I've got this lasting, I sit with this lasting aroma in my mouth or nostrils and it's so pleasing. So I then started to research. I thought, yeah, maybe there's a reason for this. So when I started to work with this uh, amazing flavorist, this company Ferminish, I started to learn more about the incredibly complex universe of aroma molecules. And there are a group of compounds. Uh, I, I told myself I wasn't going to get into this too much on the, on the sort of technical chemical side. But oh, come a, on. I'll just, there's we a group of it. compounds called hexanols. And the flavor world calls them green. They, they, they're generally on the green scale. And so, for example, when you freshly cut grass, that, 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 I'm not going to even hear the lawnmower, but when you fresh, freshly cut grass, you've, that's real, that's a volatile hexanol. So when I say volatile, it's smaller molecules that are really light, that evaporate, go into the air really quickly. The less volatile ones become fattier and heavier and they hang around longer. So cut grass, kiwi fruit, a green apple, um, parsley. So you then get the heavier hexanols, which go into banana flavor, and they go into pears, and particularly tinned pears or pear drops when they get really heavy and fatty. Um, now, this led me to this idea, um, along with uh, discovering this, this uh, marriage of white chocolate and caviar, called food pairing or flavor pairing. So if you just think about a banana as a banana, you're only ever going to eat it thinking about a banana. But if you think about yeah. a banana as a, as a universe with, with, with a load of different species and countries and states and nations and weather systems and cultures and everything, all inside this banana, and you're not going to be able to pick out all the characteristics of this, but sometimes it might remind you of an avocado or like I do with parsley or you, and then you might think hang on a second oh that might go that might go with that so if you can spend more time when you eat something thinking don't just think of it as I don't like bananas for example don't think about it as a banana think about it as a universe of other of other flavors that could inspire you to do other things you just the world opens up completely opens up to you we've just finished filming um top chef for france which is the mentioned before it's like their biggest cook shows professional professional um cooking competition and i never had a brit one before so which is a real paradox for french people a british chef doesn't exist 
uh, let alone a British chef that might have made a difference to the world, to world gastronomy. So we did food pairing, a food pairing challenge. And we set them four, there were four pairings and they sort of took the, under a cloche, they couldn't choose their pairing, it was given to them. So one of them was banana parsley, one was white chocolate, uh, well, one was chocolate and blue cheese, one was um, licorice and asparagus, and the other one was strawberries and black olives. Now, we, I blind tasted the, the chef's, you know, the hour and a half challenge, I blind tasted the dishes and the banana parsley just shone so it was very excited and happy that he won but he had a banana phobia which is amazing he didn't wait, like wait, wait, bananas banana phobia yeah that's what they called it now i didn't go into what a banana phobia does that mean you think a banana is going to come and attack you at night or you're trapped in a banana skin i don't know but he absolutely would never cook with bananas and there he was making a dish that that he got really excited about. It's it's when you say when we, I know we know we call it journey to the center of food, but when you do say it like that, the idea that you delve inside an ingredient and there is this world of flavors inside it, and I suppose a lot of it, obviously, as you always say about multisensory eating with our eyes, our noses, our ears, our fingers, the idea of if you were probably fed a banana because the texture isn't that defined, if you were fed it without seeing it. You might well imagine it to be all manner of different things if you were possibly told it was. Yeah. Because it's it, it, it's just because we see them and they're such a distinctive colour and shape. When Absolutely. you mix them up with, with these things, I it's wonder remarkable. if you'd imagine they were even yellow. If you weren't shown what they look like. Because they don't, for me, when we're talking about... Ah, no, that, that's a good point. I mean, but that's a good point, Jay. I think it's a great point. If you ate a banana looking at the colour green or you ate a banana looking at colour orange, it would probably, I, I think, would have a difference... I don't know how, but it could have a difference in the way you perceive that banana. So is the reason I have blue cheese and a chocolate digestive here the same principle? Yes. That, okay, yep. so I'm... I'm and, just, and this is connected, the, I think this is connected by, by um, a group of proteins called amines that get oxidized, that break broken down into fermented things. Uh, so blue, if you think blue cheese, you've got the mold in the cheese, there's a fermentation, bacterial fermentation that happens there. When you make chocolate, you've got fermentation of cocoa beans. I'm not sure, because this is not... What I realized that this concept that I came up with, in fact, it's not an algorithmic thing that can just work. It, it comes alive when you play around with it and open up the potential to your own world of possible discoveries. Then it's a magical tool. But I'm not for one minute suggesting that you can reduce uh, flavor pairing to a mathematical formula that's going to work for everyone. No. It's a toolkit to fall down a rabbit hole. This is interesting you mentioned this because I know since you first sort of proposed it and started using it, there have been more algorithmic approaches to this made, haven't there? Yeah. And it's, <clears> it's a whole it's movement, almost actually. like, yeah, input X and get out A and B. Yeah. And what you're saying is you have to leave the human in that. You can't just allow it to some algorithm to figure this out. There is a very personal it's aspect It's so important. This. It's like when you see chefs on TV or read books or someone say, I just want food to taste of itself. Now, what does that mean? If you have a strawberry that's been grown on a polytunnel or the same breed of strawberry that's grown under sunlight and maybe it's been subjected to different weather conditions, it's not going to taste the same. If you take broccoli and you eat it raw, or you slice it really thinly and eat it raw, or you grate it and eat it raw, or you steam it for five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or two hours or three hours, 
it's tasting of itself, is it? But you're doing physical action to the ingredient to change it. But so is the weather. And while it's grown in, there's bacteria in the soil. There's energy and movement in the soil that is physical activity and action on that food stuff. So when people say it's one of my, it is one of my, um, how do you say? It's not pet hate. That's too strong. But it's just nonsense. I want food. I want food to taste of itself. Well then, what do you want to just 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 go and eat? Just take a bite out of a cow. Just eat something off the plant, but it still won't taste of itself. It will do, but it's been subjected to the energy coming in from its living conditions. So what is a load of nonsense? <laughs> I'm amazed you're still allowed to stay in France. I thought I'd have kicked you out ages ago. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm under the radar at the moment, I think. I'm getting, I'm getting away with it, step by step, softly, softly. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm like a virus, a gastronomic <laughs> virus. So maybe not appropriate HB, in this, uh, COVID in this HB. Uh, yeah, COVID HB undercover. I mean, I know we always say one of the one of the joys of what we're trying to do here, and certainly a big driver for you and both James and I in our sort of working lives, has been trying to keep that inner toddler alive. And I, I had an interesting experience on this. Now you've sort of made it come to mind. My eldest, my nine year old, was given a carrot the other day. He was munching away. I went, "Oh, it tastes just like honey." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, oh, "I was crushing my mouth. It tastes just like honey." And I was like, "That is try brilliant." Honey with it. And he, yeah, it was wicked. They do it naturally. That, I, it's just because that is magical. That is, it is so, that is so magical when you hear that. And that's what happens. It's like the Picasso comment. We're all born artists. The challenge is to remain an artist as we grow older. As we grow older, we find the, these, the reasons why we don't like things. And maybe we don't even, we're not aware of the reasons why we don't like things. We have our relationship with food, which is so complicated and complex and it reminds us of all sorts of stuff and that might we might not even be aware about but just look at kids when they just go and this this is where we've got blue cheese chocolate to go to but i, I just this segue into i just spoke to james shortly before this podcast and i haven't tried this for years but james is on a hand with the ingredients now i don't know what he'll think about it about 15 years ago maybe a bit longer joy my, my my daughter she was somewhere between five and seven years old i guess somewhere between five and seven i think and it was a monday i knew that because that's the only time i was at i was at home and i made her she wanted a sandwich so i got white yeah plastic white bread kids standard white bread buttered the bread and she wanted tuna and nutella so it was a half a sandwich so I, I so i made half of a tuna sandwich a tin tuna with mayonnaise buttered bread and buttered bread the same buttered bread with some nutella in it and then i cut it into quarters so i imagine i had two quarters of tuna butter bread sandwich mayonnaise and two quarters of uh, nutella and I can't remember if it was me or her, or a mistake. I can't remember this. Maybe I put one slice on. I put them on top of the other. But I don't. I can't remember. But she picked them up and ate, and then I thought that it was nice. So I tasted. I had a tuna, a tuna mayonnaise um, butter bread sandwich with a mouthful of Nutella butter bread sandwich. Bizarrely. 
Well, I have some of those things. It works. Now the full stories come out. I don't have <clears throat> I don't have the mayonnaise element. I have to confess, but I do have. Okay. I've literally got tuna out of a jar. Well, my tuna, no, the, no, the tuna is out of a tin. I have it in oil. So I'm going for the core. I'm trying to find the beating heart of this. Let's try it. There's no right or wrong this to this. This is the precise journey to the center of food science experiments. This is going to be a science fact. Journey to the center of food science. Oh, this fact. is Nobel James Prize. Is this eating. is Nobel Prize work. Nobel Prize work. <laughs> We've been waiting for it. I mean, it's, I mean, come on, about time. So, oh, taking us long oh the look on James's face is not no, a not. huge. No, go on, tuna and Nutella sandwich. It's like a wrestling match, isn't it? The two flavors kind yeah. of get into each other and start to fight. And at times, yeah. it's pretty ugly, you know. But then at other times, it's like a ballet, right? You know, and so yeah, I, and you have to try and observe. This is why Jay, when we used to do our filming, we me tasting, and you were frustrated because I would do what James has just done with his face. I'd go through exactly what he just said. Is there a wrestling match? What's happening now? And then I'd have to slightly, obviously, uh, with a delayed action, observe what was happening, and then think of what I'm feeling about it. And there were there were parts. Yeah, it was brilliant. It's better better than the Jamie Oliver's of this world who just chomp it down and go, "Hmm, that's amazing." As you've always said, "Well, of course it bloody is." You just cooked it. Yeah, yeah. So we always used to down cameras for five minutes while you had a good think about it, and then come back to you and you'd go, "Hmm, that's amazing." <laughs> but there were bits of it. Well, I'm so come honestly, on, James. That's what I mean. There were parts of the experience that I thought were really interesting, yeah. and I would like to to explore. And I don't think I pursue yeah, more. And and, and I having it just tuna and chocolate, I probably would add. Maybe bread and butter, maybe mayonnaise. I don't know, but it, it maybe needs something else in there. But there's, there's little moments. So I thought, you know what? That was very pleasant. There were moments as well. Where I thought I've got tuna in one side, Nutella on the other. They seem to be very far apart. Yeah, it's a bit. It's, yeah, but, you know. it's like being slapped around the face. And then after when, when it's a bit, maybe it's a bit like, you know, when one of the reasons why chili works is that everyone's got their own kind of really their sort of chili threshold. But one of the reasons why we love chili is that it's the moment when the pain drops below unbearability and then you get a flush of endorphins because you ah and i'm sure there's some of that going on as well have you got a flush of endorphins well, the pain I mean, dropped I enough touched it earlier in, in in something he was saying about white chocolate and and caviar there's a certain fishiness to chocolate sometimes if you look for it and so there's, there's yeah. a natural kind of <clears throat> flavor match in there you know that isn't jarring all the time sometimes one is too strong for the other but you know it's the beginning of something you know, I, I, I'm all for and trying we, weird things. I discovered very many years ago that, pe for me, peanut butter can go anywhere in my diet. You know, so I can add peanut butter to yeah. anything and, and I'm happy. You know, I've had it, to, I've had it in cups Actually, of coffee that, and that, tea in the part as a student. That, that, that's, a, that's a really good point because I remember I grew up as a kid, a treat was peanut butter and jelly or jam. I think my gran had an American, she had somebody of like a, uh, in a flat was renting a room. And I think I've somehow got, the peanut butter peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and jam and i hadn't had it for years and then my ex-wife i'm talking now 20 something no 30 years ago she was making a peanut butter and onion sandwich and i remember thinking what peanut butter and onion only because i knew just knew peanut butter and jelly yeah but it was really it was great I use it in yeah. curries, I suppose, all the time, isn't it? That <clears throat> same kind yeah. of Penang curry yeah. kind of mix. I think it's, it's all about that perception of it, though, isn't it? It's how you go into it. If you can embrace curiosity and discovery above or before, I don't like that. I just don't like it. I don't like it, so it doesn't matter when you give it to me. I don't like it. I'm telling you, I don't like it. I won't like it. Then I think you're cutting yourself off from a whole world of discovery. 
certainly to the our, our journey to the center of food podcast gang out there as well we would love you all to get involved in our nobel prize winning science that we're now conducting and please get flavor pairing uh, get we'll have a go. In the combination we'll have a go we'll actually have a go. J- now having said that jay i think i think maybe i'll hand this over to you to have a go now you've got your you've got a digestive biscuit Mm, and you've got some, some blue cheese on top. Still... Now, have you gone for dark or, or or milk chocolate? I went for dark. I was quite surprised. In my local Sainsbury's, they only had one brand of digestives. I almost thought they didn't uh, have any, which was about to complain. But this, this, this is digestive. interesting because because obviously blue cheese Stilton is very uh, it's quite a Christmassy thing, and it's certainly not traditionally paired with with a chocolate biscuit. It looks nice though, doesn't it? It looks it looks it looks fancy. It looks fun. It looks it looks fun. I can't. It looks fancy. Yeah. Looks fancy. Okay, I'll try this. Let's see what this is like. So a dark chocolate digestive with Stilton on top. Oh, we're looking for reaction. Looking for oh, oh, that's a that's oh, a smile. I loved that. Fa- I loved that face. That was a magical face. Mere words. That's Look. really cool. <laughs> that's like a bit of magic. That because I'm not the biggest fan of Stilton. Put it with that. It's, that it's was amazing. wicked. I love that. Really Do you see, fun. this is the thing. Sometimes, who is it? There, there was a guy recently that said language was designed to hide emotions. So by the time, there's something about, and unfortunately we can't capture this in these, in these podcasts, but seeing your, seeing your eyes light up, your hands go up like a, wow, there, you had fireworks. Some firework display just happened in your mouth at some point. Of, and that it was, was so good because your brain is going, your brain is desperately trying to fit, get, put it in a, Pigeonhole. Our brains are obviously wired to do that. They want to make the world easy. Yeah, it's, com- it's comfort. It's comfort. We, we just yeah, need it's some like, security. Where, where does this go? And, and it can't do it because it's suddenly going, hang about, what's this? There's a bit of chocolate there. There's some cheese there. I don't think I like that cheese, but I quite like it now. And then, as James said, it all coalesces and that works really well. Ah, and if you could try and get uh, uh, persuade or suggest to people that rather than just putting another mouthful of that food in, linger on the aftertaste because that little tail off the tail off of the two together to me is really magical you because when you first start chomping obviously you do said you've got that oh hang on a second hang on a second this is a chocolate digestive this is a chocolate digestive biscuit with blue cheese and then there's a moment where oh yeah and then that tail off with your, your little memory you can reflect on it and that's that's the difference. We speak about this quite often. There's a difference of be, be, between feeling f- being full and fulfilled. So if you linger with that finish, the, the, they call it in, in posh wine tasting terms. The finish is the is the, is what happens after you swallowed the wine. How long? Ah, oh, this is a very long finish. This is a finish must be uh, one and a half minutes long. <laughs> but that 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 finishes that tail off, that tail off on the memory. And if you can, and that's true. I've got that in this. I've got that. the Stilton, but it also makes you want to try other things. So I'm now thinking, you know what will go really well is if that chocolate was warm. I think that would be even better because it would make the chocolate slightly stronger. So then you start thinking, so how would that be if I'm stuck? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because stick that in the microwave. What for a happened second if or two. it was milk in the microwave? How long for? Uh, you know, what happens if I change the blue cheese? Everything. It's not. This is why this is not a. It is not a sort of um, algorithmic formula set in stone. It's our relationship with food. But it just means you can, you can just have a go. There is no right or wrong. Unlike, and this is the problem with historically with a lot of TV cooking shows and cookbooks. And, and in, fact, in fact, French gastronomy 
and Italian gastronomy in particular, there's right and wrongs. Now, if you have well, peanut butter and onion, tuna and Nutella, blue cheese and chocolate, banana and parsley, mango and green peppercorn, strawberry and olives, mustard and cabbage, mandarin and thyme, etc., 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 combinations that you might not have heard before, if they don't fit into a classical framework, they're not wrong. You don't have to justify to anybody why you, why you, why you found them so exciting. Obviously, the people you care about you want them to have the same excitement. It's like anything. If you love it, if you love it, if your favourite film or your favourite piece of music or your favourite painting or your favourite book or pop star, whatever it is, you want the people that you care about to actually like what you like. That's a natural human thing. But you don't have to justify it. This is the best. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, hang on a second. Of course you do, because it's you that's talking about it. You like it or not, but doesn't also doesn't mean to say that you might not like a uh, a combination of something in one moment, and maybe a couple of months later you've just learnt something more about yourself and you become a little bit more adventurous. Go back and try again. Go back and try this again. Is, this has been such a fun adventure, and like we say, we want everyone out there to get amongst it and try all these things out for themselves. At Heston's podcast on the Instagram and Heston's podcast at gmail.com for the email send in all the things you've experimented with Heston thank you ever so much for this adventure into food and flavour pairing it has been a complete and utter delight and I'm going to keep trying many things following this but for now I'm afraid that is all we have time for we're going to go off and eat a whole packet of uh, digestives now and some Stilton until next time Heston thank you so much thank you thank you chaps That that was great and again just as Jay said Please, we will embrace all unusual flavour pairing suggestions sent through and especially if there's a little story with them and we'll have a go.